0: Welcome to The Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. The president gave his first real speech last night to the nation, marking the one-year anniversary of the, of the pandemic. Uh, this, was, this was President Joe Biden.
1: I'll close with this. We've lost so much over the last year. We've lost family and friends. We've lost businesses and dreams we spent years building. We've lost time time with each other and our children have lost so much time with their friends time with their schools no graduation ceremonies this, this spring no graduations from college high school moving up ceremonies you know and there's something else we lost we lost faith in whether our government and our democracy can deliver on really hard things for the american people but as i stand here tonight we're proving once again something I've said time and time again to so probably tired of hearing me say it. I say it to foreign leaders and domestic alike. It's never, ever a good bet to bet against the American people. America is coming back. The development, manufacture, and distribution of vaccines in record time is a true miracle of science. It's one of the most extraordinary achievements any country has ever accomplished. And we also just saw the Perseverance rover land on Mars. Stunning images of our dreams that are now reality. Another example of the extraordinary American ingenuity, commitment and belief in science and one another. And today, I signed in the law the American Rescue Plan.
0: Really? So joining me on the uh, weekend podcast, Bill Crystal. How are you, Bill? Yeah, I'm fine, Charlie. How are you? So, you've watched a lot of presidential speeches. What What was your take on that speech last night?
2: I thought it was very good, very successful. There are a few things I would have tweaked, but on um, the, uh, uh, you know, cut a couple of lines, sentence, minutes probably, and, and so forth. And uh, But, you know, he had the right tone. He was calm and, uh, uh, pleasant presidential in a kind of uh folksy isn't quite the right word but how, how would you describe it but sort of uh it was human it was it human was, plain american kind of ways talking to us and the news was good it's you know he's done a good job on the vaccines i thought he was smart i, mean, I would have even gone a little less far than he did in the sort of self-promotion side which was pretty restrained by presidential very states. restrained yeah but i thought in a way the contrast is so striking with trump let it speak for itself and just but but he was good i mean he was modest and he i thought the most striking moment for me was when he went on about it's about you you need to help you need not whether help you need to be make this work you the american people by getting vaccinated by wearing masks uh he could have even emphasized a little more in terms of schools by the way which parents and teachers can work together to make that work uh it's such a contrast with trump where it's all about it's all about him but apart from the just failed policies of trump and so uh, and so forth so um no i thought it was effective and um no, it was effective. I mean, there's a I, I, yeah. But the reason it, it was effective because the reality has been effective. I mean, you well, know he's crazy. not making something up, right?
0: It was it was not the speech that I expected. I, I really did expect that it was going to be a little bit more um, you know, taking a victory lap on on signing this one point nine trillion dollar COVID relief package. Uh, instead, it was a very Biden-esque speech. It was very, you know, empathetic. Let's talk about what we we've, we've been through. And I, I, two things. I mean, I actually had a much more positive reaction than anybody else on our live stream. We did the Bulwark live stream right. last night and everybody was, of oh, it was fine. You got the job done. I, you know, maybe, you know, I, I'm thinking, no, I thought that was an incredibly powerful speech because it was understated. So all day long, we had people on, you know, the right media and you know, Ben Shapiro was saying he's president houseplant. He's going to be senile. Uh, he can't put together a sentence. And so he comes out. And he's an honest to God, actual, sentient, competent, empathetic president. So I mean that was number one. It was also, as you point out, the, the, the contrast with Donald Trump. I mean, in every respect, no chest thumping, no narcissism, no whining, no crackpottery, no suggestions that this was, you know, this was all him, that the pandemic was magically gonna go away. He didn't suggest, you know, injecting bleach up your butt, you know, to solve all of that. He was sober, modest, hopeful presidential. And, and the way that he sort of, you know, wrapped it up like we Americans are coming back. And I mean, there's a little bit of showmanship with saying that, you know, just going to be July 4th and that's going to be our Independence Day. But you could tell how effective that was because it drove the people on Fox News out of their freaking minds.
2: No, and I think, so I totally agree with you. I mean, no, so I would say I, maybe I was a little too yeah. uh, qualified in my sort of professional yeah. speech writing hat and it was an A minus, not an A or something, but it was very good. And And he needs to keep that up, in my opinion, uh, that in the sense of no victory laps. They should really put out the word that this is the, when he and the vice president traveling around the country, it's the opposite of a victory lap. This is the beginning of the task. They're traveling around the country to encourage Americans to stick to it now that we see the the prospect of relief from this terrible pandemic this is not the time to let up but also that we all have a job to do but i thought the sentence that for me was the best was something about not the best but it was very mm-hmm. useful and sort of healthy for our politics was you know and if parts of it don't work we'll revisit those and yeah. then he quickly obviously there had been some fight among the staff about mm-hmm. saying that too much but you can't you know and it was quite but i think it's all going to work he said right away right mm-hmm. so but he needs to have that attitude i think people want that kind of experimental, non dogmatic kind of liberalism, really. It is FDR. That's, I think, didn't FDR describe himself that way as sort of, you know, let's just uh, experimental and, you know, not everything is it's perfect. I think if he takes that attitude and we'll be, we're going to do a lot more and we're going to fix the things that need to be fixed and there's some things we'll probably have to accelerate or, and other things that we can sort of take a pedal off the gas on and maybe we can open up a little earlier or maybe a little later, you know, I think that attitude is such a relief and so pleasant and and uh, after both trump but also the general insanity of everyone pontificating dogmatically as if you know about what is going to happen with a very imprecise uh, you know knowledge of obviously of how these pandemics spread it's not i don't mean imprecise it's a criticism it's just that's the way this the world of public health is any serious person will tell you and also with the economy we don't know so i i think i think that whole tone of kind of Optimism, confidence, but also caution and uh, yeah, it was experimentation is very important to keep up.
0: No, and and uh, I think David Leonhardt in the New York Times had a had a really good take on this. He talked about uh, hopefulness as a public health tool. Hmm. You know that Biden's speech included lots of caveats about the the variance, the uncertainty, and right. everything. Uh, and clearly his strategy is to underperform so that he can over deliver. I mean, I think this is, this but is where he, it, yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. Yes. Under, well, he's, 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 you know, under promising and over delivering. I mean, yes. so yes. what he's doing is the exact opposite of Donald Trump who would say, you know, only I can fix this. You know, this is about me. And Biden is like, no, this is about you and I need, I need your help, but. Um, I I think that's what made that July 4th thing memorable, uh, Leonhardt says. Even Biden, with all of his caution, seems to grasp the power of hopefulness at this moment that you need to make people think, okay, we are almost through this. And there is that balancing act. But here's the real issue. I should say one thing on the July 4th thing. What struck
2: me so much about it, and this fits very much with what you're saying, what Mm -hmm. Leonhardt said is. Also, the, his vision of July 4th was so, everyone remembers Trump at Mount Rushmore, I think that was the day before July 4th, and then, I can't remember, we was on the mall, right, and there was flybys, and he didn't, was standing there looking like a you know, little Mussolini, and by all Biden said about July 4th, and he mentioned the date as when he hoped we could be Back to something close to normal, and said, you know, and I hope on July Fourth that you and your families, your neighbors, can get together either in your backyard or in your community for cookouts or barbecues, something like that, right? I mean, yeah. to celebrate Independence Day. It was such a modest, traditionally American view of July Fourth, non Mussolini like, non authoritarian like, uh, non you know pompous bloviating of the Trump sort, and very much he's not going to be the center of July Fourth. Your families, your communities, maybe the local fireworks—if that's—if we can go to that level of community uh, of people getting together—will uh, be the center. But certainly the, the barbecues and the cookouts, uh, not Joe Biden and not some speech about some cultural war speech delivered in front of Mount Rushmore. I think yeah. July Fourth could be a very big moment if they if they play it right, which means really under. Playing it, I would say Biden should have July 4th, with his family in Delaware or something like that. And, you know, maybe watch the fireworks if they're going to be fireworks with a lot of with other people. And and just uh, let Americans return to a sort of healthy Republican with a small R, Democratic with a small D, normalcy.
0: I think that that packed more emotional punch than some of the pundits are, are giving it credit yes. for. I was talking to a couple of people who said that that was the moment where they actually, you know, were, you know, had tears because this yeah. this was that that moment of Bringing it all together, all the lines, you know, um, what America can do, pa- redefining patriotism in the sense of, you know, being together as opposed to, you know, uh, the president riding on a tank down Pennsylvania Avenue. Well, you know, jets are screaming <laughs> overhead, all of that. So I, I think that was a very, very powerful moment. And again, one of the tells was, you know, the Fox News folks, uh, how upset they were about the invocation of July 4th. Uh, Tucker Carlson, I want to come back to in a moment. Uh, you know say like, how dare the president tell us what to do and everything i i think that was uh a, a recognition of the power of that of the power that that uh you know if, if in fact we're back by july 4th i think we're going to be back before that um you know what that represents okay so you, if
2: if you think a certain chunk of middle america let's say uh swing voter types you know are open to biden but worried about the progressives the wokes and stuff which they're not foolish to be worried about Mm -hmm. in the Democratic Party and on the left side of liberalism. Think about that image, though, that Biden conveyed on July 4th. That was not a woke image. That was a traditional patriotic American. Very much so,
0: which is why it bothered them so much, because they realize how powerful that image is. I mean, I do think, you know, that Tucker Carlson is doing the how dare you, because he goes, damn. Okay, so, you know, we have spent the last year saying this guy is senile, saying he hates America, saying they hate God and all of this stuff, and suddenly now you have this very, very pro-American, you know, American ingenuity, American strength, America coming back And July 4th. Uh, this is, was not the imagery that they wanted Joe Biden to have. OK, so other reactions to all of this. And again, I think this is a tell. This is uh, Ben Dominich, who is how do we describe Ben Dominich, the founder of the Federalist uh, husband of Meghan McCain. Um, now he's got himself a new Fox News contract And really feels he needs to earn it, I'm guessing So he shows up on Fox News after the speech yesterday For some reason wearing a lumberjack shirt Which I don't really quite know what that was, what that vibe was all about But anyway, this was what he said after the speech That you and I have just been discussing, Ben Domenech This is another garbage speech full of lies From a senile person who thinks that they're in charge of America But actually isn't running anything <laughs> And I'm not going to pretend otherwise. I mean- what? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's garbage speech. Okay. You, then give us what you disagreed with, where he is wrong. Um, that that was the kind of, that's the kind of sort of, I'm going to throw cr- stuff up against the wall. I hate this guy. And I don't know. I'm I'm, a, as, I'm old enough to remember when Ben Dominic and guys like that actually had pretensions to be serious conservative thinkers.
2: I and think now it's if, if, you, if you sort of came, you know, have been away for 20 years and came back yeah. and saw that, you'd say, well, what, does that guy have some pro- issues? I mean, frankly, is, is yeah. there some anger there inside him? But let's not personalize it. Let's just say that about the movement as a whole. I mean, what is conservatism? What is Fox today? It's a bunch of, it's so much anger, resentment, hatred um uh will, willingness to express all those things rather than holding them in even if you have some of that uh then express it as vulgarly and, and and as stridently as possible i guess there's some chunk obviously of america that likes that hey he really he called it as he is you know he's not being polite to the president of the united states he's just saying that uh the guy's senile but i mean a he's not clearly and to say the least and one shouldn't even have to say that and b What what kind of country are we living in where where that's considered an appropriate comment to make after the president reads a quite a good speech reads it quite well actually two or three of the usual tiny slips that people make and um, I I mean to people that's why I do wonder I mean I've been pessimistic as I guess we all sort of have been mostly at the bulwark about you know the Republican Party conservatism it just seems so ingrained now the Trumpism the demagoguery the the populism the, the Bitterness and so forth, but you do wonder: can that just go on and on and on? Can people live that way and enjoy that for for months and for years? At some point, don't people think, "Oh, it's exhausting and unpleasant," and no one would would behave yeah. that way in in their own family and community circumstances, or most people wouldn't, I don't think. So, uh,
0: no, uh, they 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 wouldn't. And, and what's also interesting is that that comment takes place on the day that this president. Uh, has just signed a pretty consequential piece of legislation. I mean, this, this is one of the, you know, some, you know most significant expanses of uh, expansions of the social safety net since uh, the New Deal Great Society, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The, the defeat of the small government fiscal conservatives, well, actually the surrender, I would say, of you know the conservative uh, you know claim that, that they were going to push back against the welfare state, small government, all of that. It's really rather extraordinary, um, and that so you you have the president signing this piece of legislation, which is highly consequential, after uh, the right wing and people like Ben Dominic and Tucker Carlson have spent the week talking about n- not about um, the scope of government, the responsibilities of government, not talking about policy, but talking about Dr. Seuss. I mean, it really is kind of an extraordinary moment. So they're mocking this man who has just defeated them in some of the most fundamental ways imaginable. And the best they can come up with, the Ben Shapiro's and the Ben Dominiches, is he's senile. He's a houseplant. Well, this houseplant has just kicked your ideological butt more than you've had in, seen in decades.
2: Some, I mean, there yeah. were people, I think you were key among them, Charlie, who said, you know what, electing Trump and then even more, I'd say, accommodating, enabling, succumbing to Trump, it's going to damage conservatism in the sense of conservative ideas, principles, thoughts about how government should work. And this is the most obvious uh, proof of it, right? I mean, that this massive expansion of government, some of which is necessary, but in a healthier era would have been met by conservatives saying, well, wait a second, some of this is okay as a temporary matter. Other parts are not well structured. And these parts are really unnecessary. And here's our criticism. And here's where we want to go going forward. Let some of this stuff expire. Let other things get turned into a conservative version of a safety net. Uh, That's what a normal conservative party would do. And I think you are going to have slightly bigger government after this pandemic and after government hasn't increased in size, basically the federal government for two decades, really. Um, and after, you know, with all kinds of things going on in the world, whatever, but, uh, but instead we, there's so little of that. That's what's most striking to me. I mean, you get almost, it's very interesting, actually, as a matter of, of policy, what's happened. So you conservatives could also take some credit, I think, for, um, the fact that they ended up with a $1.9 trillion package is massive, but most of it is distributed in ways that Milton Friedman could have lived with. You know, I mean that, that, that it's checks to people. It's not, there's not a huge amount of not federal a lot of government beyond, central right. – plan- it's not central planning of the economy, right? right. The first the, – the massive piece of legislation isn't the Green New Deal it's sort of let's really give people more money so they can make it through this period and so we can also cut child poverty and let's give money to states and localities so they can get the schools opened so if you're the kind of conservative who believes in that empowering people empowering communities instead localities and states you know you might not like the amount of money but actually it's not going to be a whole bunch of you know mad, it's the opposite of the criticism of what was the criticism of obamacare you know, central planners are going to just, just take over everything, basically. And there was some truth to that criticism. This, I do think, in a way, lays the possi- opens the possibility for a kind of a 2020s kind of public policy debate and, and public policies that bring together some conservative insights about Hayekian insights about the limits of central planning and so forth with, you know, to be frank, liberal insights that we have let inequality go too far, that we do need to strengthen the safety net and and do so in ways that don't de- provide disincentives, however, for hard work or opportunity or people or innovation, you know. Um, here you had a liberal democratic president, you made this point just in passing, but just to emphasize it, praising innovation, science, but also industry, really, right? Talking quite a bit about meth big companies working together. He could have made that point more strongly. It wasn't appropriate last night, okay. but Scott Lincecum made this point on a, on a podcast with me and we've had a, a people at the worker made it. I mean, what is the vaccine success but a tribute to a certain kind of dy- dynamism of the private sector, big companies working with small companies, immigrants uh, making a huge contribution here, globalization, it's a German company that worked with Pfizer that really, the German company probably made the real breakthrough and then needed Pfizer to kind of mass produce the drug. All these things that a certain kind of conservatism with which we would associate ourselves would have said, you know what, there's some vindication for us here. And now it has to be complemented with a liberal emphasis on the welfare, you know, on, on the safety net and so forth. Uh, but that can be done in a, in a healthy way. We can debate exactly how to do it. But that conservatism is, is barely exists at the bulwark and it exists at a few places um, actually, so liberals, who in a funny way are saying, "Well, what are the lessons of this?" You know, is this a, a different kind of welfare state that we thought of about thirty or fifty years ago? And conservatives are out uh, denouncing Biden personally in the crassest terms. Uh, pandering to ludicrous kind of cultural grievances there are some legitimate incidentally culture war concern culture concerns and cancel culture concerns and those get swamped by the idiotic ones that well you're right i mean
0: they talk about woke and cancel culture and uh and 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 they throw around words like socialism where they've just lost this big thing you know what i think part of the the problem of of confronting this 1.9 trillion dollar program is that is that there are a lot of things that people look at that and go, okay, we've been saying that we were pro-family for how long? This mm-hmm. is pro-family legislation, pro-child, pro-natalist, in terms of encouraging people to have babies, to take care of babies, a pro-life movement that is, you know, really focused on abortion, but, you know, and, and it's true, some of the the, the jibes have, have been true, that they're, you know, much less interested in that child after, you know, af- after birth. And, and now you have... You know, legislation specifically targeted to families uh, also to provide incentives for work to support people uh, in businesses. The aid goes to people. So this doesn't have the feel that you are having a gusher of money for what I unfortunately once described as moochers. It, It is it is the working people of America who need support right now. It's pro-work, it's pro jobs, it's pro small businesses, pro family, pro-child. So even though it's a it's a major progressive bill, there's a kind of an underlying conservative theme that runs through it, which may explain why these poll numbers are so extraordinary. We're divided about everything else, but 70% of Americans look at this and go, No, I'm okay with this. I'm okay with this this bill. And I think that's what's I think that's what's making um republicans and conservatives so upset because they can't figure out what their critique is right now given all of the compromises they made over the the last four years
2: yeah i know i think that's right and i think it does mean incidentally that conservatives even absent trump and the populist kind of demagoguery need to rethink things and think about okay well some of these proposals seem sensible. But I think articulating this in more depth, that we want money to flow to private businesses if money's going to flow to help for macroeconomic reasons mm-hmm. and to not for profit organizations. So, you know, I read that the local the Jewish Community Center here is going to get, uh, as it's applied for quite properly, and is going to get a small PPP grant, which, and they're designed for not for profits as well as for profits to keep people employed. And these are people doing childcare and helping uh, the elderly and running a, you know, the kind of, local faith-based center the conservatives are always uh, alike this isn't the Biden administration shutting everyone da- shutting them all down right or, or setting up the national you know federal center for deciding yeah. how everyone's going to administer social problem aqu- programs across the United States it's the Biden administration saying let's just give enough money to these existing Uh, programs across the united states to make sure they can stay afloat until we get things going again now we'll see what happened a year i think we're more likely to be having fights on more traditional grounds against some big government central planning type efforts by the biden administration but what's most striking is that the American conservative movement, which really came into being to fight that kind of stuff, inspired by thinkers who had criticized that sort of thing, whether it's Hayek types or neoconservatives and the public interest in the '60s and '70s, is the American conservative movement is currently utterly disabled, utterly incom- incapable of having a serious discussion about any of this. A few individuals and think tanks can do so, and it's it's both disabled in some degree, has lost the credibility to do so because. Uh, we were discussing this before we went on the air in terms of HR1 and other things. I mean, there are legitimate, I really, really are legitimate, and you wrote well about this in, in your newsletter uh, concerns, complaints, things to oppose, and, and wish that they'd be taken out there. But does the current Republican Party have any credibility in opposing these things until they apologize for trying to overturn the election? <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. that for me is yeah. the key. I, I don't, right. and I sort of, if I were, I had this long conversation with a liberal friend. Uh, very involved in democratic politics. And he was, I was explaining to him what I didn't like about HR1 and some other things, and mm-hmm. how I thought they could do better if they focused it narrowly on voting rights and be a strong argument. He said, Well, will any Republicans I support it anyway? That. And I said, Well, maybe not, but I think you'd have a better case for then breaking the filibuster in limited ways. And it was an interesting discussion, very much like what you and JVL have been, have been having in the news, uh, both on, on the podcast and in the newsletters. And, and, uh, but at some point you know i couldn't say to him in good conscience yes most of these republicans are making their arguments in good faith i think you and i are making arguments in good faith but these are elected officials who went along until the month ago with they were quiet and, and as trump tried to overturn the election it went along with everything for four years uh who still haven't repudiated what trump tried to do or what their colleagues tried to do the house republican conference has not said it was wrong that a majority of us tried to overturn the election how can any, how can you go with a straight face to Nancy Pelosi and say you know you should take more seriously these examples of your Republican see this,
0: this this is exactly the internal conversation that I had it's funny that you would you would mention that because you know I was preparing to go on a on somebody's show to, to talk about this and you know the need for a compromise. You know, and I would like to be able to say that, look, um, election integrity needs to be bipartisan. You want members of both parties to have confidence that the system is not rigged, um, that it is fair, free and secure. Right. You want that kind of a nonpartisan consensus. uh, Therefore, that's why you would want to have compromise. But then I, I come up with the exact same argument. But but how can you seriously argue now that Republicans at the state level or the congressional level are dealing with this issue in anything remotely like good faith? I mean, they clearly um, are on this voter suppression binge. They clearly uh, are, you know, are still unwilling to jettison the big lie about this this election. And as I've said on this podcast before, I mean, Republicans have clearly internalized the idea that not everybody should vote, that it's not a good thing. To have uh, too much democracy and therefore they're going to make it as difficult for certain people to vote as possible. So given that and given what's happening right now and and this this largest restriction, what may turn out to be the largest restriction in the franchise since the end of Reconstruction. I mean, how do you argue against radical action uh, at the federal level? So I I, am very I'm very torn about this. And here, I
2: think there is a bit of a failure on the part of the Republicans we like, if I could put it that way, the ones who voted for impeachment, for conviction, who stood up to Trump at different times, who behaved in a, in a personally pretty honorable way. But they don't. They still think somehow we can go back to okay. Well, look, I. They tell themselves I behaved honorably, which is true, and to their credit, and I criticized some of my peers in, in real time on January sixth and so forth. And now we're just going to go ahead and you know vote as a mass against uh, the, the the COVID bill and against HR1 and we're not going to even bother offering like an amendment or be serious about saying what parts are acceptable and what parts are we're just going to say hey this is all terrible this is a progressive wish list federalism and stuff I mean in the real world Republicans at the state level are trying to in a very serious way roll back voting rights and access to the polls And if you're not willing to say these things shouldn't happen, they shouldn't happen at the state level. It'll be better if they were just blocked at the state level. But if they're not going to be blocked at the state level, we're going to have to be serious about some federal legislation to preserve the vote, the ballot, the suffrage for for our fellow Americans. Now, having said that, so I'm going to say that, and I'm going to criticize those Republicans who are trying to roll that back. If you say that, I think you have the credibility to then say now can we sit down and talk about these parts of the bill that the ACLU doesn't like yeah. uh, and, and that you know really are uh, the Supreme Court may well t- toss out uh, and that are ill advised. But uh, even the good Republicans in Congress because they're still in their kind of re- working going forward in a Republican mindset. And I would say this is true of a lot of people in think tanks too, unless you're willing to really in my opinion, in my opinion, denounce kind of what's happening in real time. Uh, among some, among many Republicans, unfortunately, let's say most Republicans, really, you know, very hard to, for, to then say to the Democrats to, or to the Liberals, you know, the, who were involved in these efforts, you know, you really need to be very concerned about this stuff at it all. It, it just, the, I mean, this is what you predicted; it's what JVL predicted. Trumpism corrupts the, the, the totally. continuing accommodation of Trumpism in the broad sense of the kind of you know, the nativist authoritarian populism. Just makes it very hard to get any of these arguments, including some good good arguments, uh, taken seriously. Very hard f- for me to say to them in a straight face: "Yes, you need to take this seriously."
0: Well, and that, and I guess that my my main argument is because I think the threat is so grave that it's important to get something passed. It, it, we, this is not a moment to allow the perfect to be the enemy of the good. Yeah. And um, if you can get if you can get an HR one that will actually deal with some of this uh, voter suppression. Uh, then, then y- you need to be willing to live without the other stuff. By the way, speaking of uh, Trumpism corrupting, um, this is one of the great things about uh, podcasts because we were going through the reaction to Biden's speech last night, and I had one more soundbite that I wanted to give you as a gift today, Bill. Okay. Um, to, to give you a sense when we when we talk about Biden derangement syndrome or the way that the, that the you know right wing media is having a hard time processing this particular political moment. Um, one of the best we can we can go through Tucker Carlson. We can go through Laura Ingram. We can talk about Sean Hannity. But but Bill, because it's Friday, I give you Mark Levin and his reaction last night. Yeah, this speech that, uh, that Joe Biden gave is the most disgusting, propagandistic speech that a demagogue, even a politician has ever given. It is pathetic. And you'll I don't know. It's like he's having he's having a normal one there. Mark, this is the worst. This is just disgusting. See that that tone of voice tells me that his main reaction was, "Damn, this guy's winning. It's successful, and I got nothing."
2: Yeah, and I do wonder. So it makes you wonder if they really, deep down, kind of know they got nothing. Does the Trump at some point does does the bubble burst on 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 Trump and Trumpism and all of this and uh or not i mean for short term it's worse the short-term effect is worse i think you made this comment to make him Everyone now whether it was already we were already on the air or yeah. before No, not no before, it before but and it's getting worse it's getting know? worse i mean that's what's really appalling the the fever has not broken as some hoped and not wasn't crazy to hope that when trump lost or when trump or after january 6th and when saw the consequences of trump and trumpism or after january 20th uh, or after Biden came in and didn't wasn't the caricature that people said he was going to be uh, the left wing socialist and so forth, but the fever hasn't broken. The fever's uh, gotten uh, has been accentuated or whatever the right. It's it like that.
0: they've settled into a, a new post Trump uh, you, you know uh, period where that, that it's even worse in, in in part because everybody's trying to figure out their own lane and you can't just slipstream behind Trump's demagoguery and his bluster. So you have to bring your own. You know, yeah, <laughs> it's like it's, it's like you can't go to the Trump buffet and feast at it. So it's uh, it's BYOB. And so, you know, the Ben Dominic's and the and ben <laughs> Dominic and, and and the Mark Levins are just, you know, it's like you're senile. It's crazy. It's just it, it's it's not it's nuts. And, and and you know Tucker Carlson, you know, Sort of this image of him like pressing one button after another. What's going to work on the culture war? Obviously, we're not going to be talking about the welfare state or anything, since I've since he's bought into a lot of the populism. So what he's you know America is uh, is racist against white people. Uh, George Floyd um, wasn't really murdered. Uh, let's spend time attacking um, a woman that n- most people had never heard of. This young woman who's a reporter for the new york times taylor lorenz let's devote you know segment after segment to attacking to attacking her let's put on some of these you know covid truthers like alex berenson on air. let's go after women in the military it's just i mean the, there is a, a sort of throwing the sp- you know culture war spaghetti up against the wall on the parts of these guys
2: does that work i mean don't know i don't know trump voters um some of them are women in the military. A lot of them are related to women in the military. A lot of them have friends who are women in the military or daughters of their friends or whatever, you know, and they're proud of them, aren't they? And do, do they really appreciate Tucker Cross and saying this? I mean, this is where you do wonder whether there could be, whether that poll showing 60% approval of Biden. So some number of Trump voters are approving. Could that stay? I've been assuming that would fade back to the normal polarization of, you know, 50 to 45 kind of thing. But maybe people, some chunk of people who talked themselves into accommodating Trump more than you and I would have liked, more than you and I thought was wise or reasonable, who didn't vote for Biden, maybe some chunk of those Trump voters are looking at all this and thinking, I don't know, I'm kind of, I, I think it's great that, you know the the daughter of our friends next door has been serving in the military and it's impressive and I admire her for doing so. I always thank her for doing so when I see her on when she's back home visiting the folks and and you know that's not a bad thing, is it and well. Maybe some of that does make a difference now. Over the next few I, I, months, I'm I'm generally puzzled by this because
0: generally Tucker Carlson, in his own reptilian kind of way, has an instinct for this, and so I understand why an issue like uh, transgender athletes might might be a wedge issue. You know, you know, g- people with you know biological males who want to compete with with women. I I get why that is a politically potent wedge issue. This issue of pregnant. Soldiers in the military going after, you know, women in the military feels like you've gone back to like what, 1957 for an issue, you know, or uh, last time I remember a serious debate about this was in the mid 1990s. And this was, and no, we've gone through Iraq, we've gone through Afghanistan, we have women who are pilots, we have the new technology and everything, and people are going, what are you talking about? And so- yeah, the, you're attacking they,
2: Americans. Right, the, so country. you're dragging,
0: well, your tweet, I put your tweet in my newsletter, you know, I mean, the you, you have- you effective you are denigrating american troops this this is this is the extraordinary moment i liked your tweet where you said you know tonight's a uh, a snapshot of the state of american politics on the governing center left president biden announces the vaccine will be available to all adults by may on the populist right tucker carlson will continue to denigrate Americans serving our country yeah i mean like you're looking at a menu of things what can i do uh to you know boost my ratings against newsmax let's attack Men and women, men and women uh, who are fighting for their country, who have served their country. And boy, the, the dunking he's getting, he deserves every bit of it. By the way, speaking of cultural civil wars. Mr. Uh, Crystal. Yes. We're having our own civil war at the bulwark. Who, the <laughs> who, who started this? OK, this was an unprovoked asymmetrical attack by our good friend JVL, who was on one of the podcasts that you have to be a member of Bulwark Plus to get. It was this the was this the next level podcast or was this the secret podcast? I'm I'm not sure. But it starts off in the context of a discussion of the uh, deeply unfair treatment of uh, Joe Biden's dog. Uh, I'm always going to stand up for the German shepherds and you know the controversy about all of that and whether that was a big deal or how people felt about it or whatever. Um, and out of nowhere Okay, we're just minding our own business. I'm just a guy, as you know, Bill, who will occasionally post pictures of my dogs yes. because they're the most awesome dogs in America, right? And, and are know, they German
2: Shepherds? They look like German too. Shepherds.
0: Yeah, no, we have we have uh, Augie. It's his birthday today, by the way. Augie is four years old today. Happy we have Eli, birthday, who's Augie! Still, who's a giant puppy? He's about 130 pounds, about one Genius. year old. And we have the old dog, uh, Pete. Uh, who is kind of a cult figure in in the media? He's 16 years old and, and going well. And if you ever see me on TV, you see the picture of uh, of Pete or one of the German
2: Shepherds be behind me. So, Is I'm it an accident, though? Is it an accident that Joe Biden has two German Shepherds and Charlie Sykes has two German Shepherds? No, it's not. I mean, none of, none this of these confirms. Are- I think a lot of the conspiracy theorists who I've been doubting about you and the bulwark yeah. and the biden operation i it, this is kind of a signal we, isn't it frankly we, we are we are into into the dogs and and
0: you know if you want to talk about one of the dramatic differences between donald trump and 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 joe biden uh, donald trump was like the first guy pretty much like forever who didn't have a dog and he kept talking about you know they, they lay down like a dog or they lost yeah. like a dog he hated dogs joe yeah. biden loves dogs what else do you need to know anyway so we're just sitting here I'm just tweeting out dog memes and stuff like that. <laughs> and JVL sitting and he's talking with Sonny Bunch and and Sarah Longwell, and he fires he says this. This is what he said. Deeply unpopular, which is talk for 30 seconds about the Biden dog. I don't think I've ever outed myself on this show, is this, but I'm an anti-dog person. Dogs themselves are fine. I hate dog people. Mm. Okay. I is it I... I feel seen, Bill. Yeah, well, JvL doesn't like people much. So I mean, it oh, okay, but, but like, then he goes on. No, no, no. Much as I love JvL, needless to say. He 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 talks about dog people as the people who put dogs in prams and stuff like that, which 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 we, which we don't do. But then there are cat people who put cats in prams, right? I mean, there's there's all of that stuff, you know. So, and then it gets worse because Sarah Longwell, who who could just sit there, you know, and be her normal. Sweet, reasonable self. She feels the need to weigh in. This is what Sarah then says.
1: I think it's pretty preposterous, but I, I actually have to – I'm with JVL. I'm also not <sighs> a dog person. <sighs> Both uh, of you people. And I just am not. Uh, yesterday I tweeted that I thought people cared a little too much about Biden's dog. That's a very
0: unpopular clown. You should just never like, say that out loud.
1: Everyone got mad at me and people just kept sending me pictures of dogs.
0: Twitter is a pro-dog Safe I've, space. Noticed right. I've
1: noticed that I've noticed I and I and here's the thing is like George I watched, Conway
0: is never gonna speak to you again
1: maybe but I I watch the way that people like wield their dogs on Twitter as oh. like shields like what? this is I demand to be humanized on this platform by this animal that I am now gonna make you all invest in we're all connected through this uh anyway I it's it, it is a it is just like a black box to me I'm not like mad at people well. for doing it I just don't care well bill <sighs> Well,
2: I mean, I mean J.P. and I have worked together for 25 years. I, I'm, I'm extremely fond of him. Sarah and I have worked so closely together for the last three, four years. Probably I'm closer to her than anyone else in our in our world in terms of just amount of time I spend talking to her every day and plotting and planning and uh, working. And it's been great getting, getting Shocking, you know, though, huh? becoming yeah. such a close friend of hers and mm-hmm. her family. So, yeah, I think, you know, you and I are going to have to really go we consider our allegiances here, right, Charlie? I mean, you what's going on dog here? Guy, now, right? You are really a dog person. Yeah. I mean, we had a dog. We got a dog. Susan grew up. was a dog person. Then we got a dog, um, a mini Australian shepherd, about 35, 40 pounds. Uh, when Rebecca, when our oldest went to college, and, but, but that dog, Patches, was such a close part of our family for the next 17 yeah. years. Also, we were lucky in terms of his longevity there. And uh, so not quite a German Shepherd, but in the Shepherd family. Yeah. And they are a little, they can be a little irritable and a little nervous with strangers and can nip at people. And I guess that's what one of Biden's yeah. dogs allegedly did. And obviously that shouldn't be minimized and so forth. But yes, I, I'm shocked to find that there's anti-dog sentiment even even here at the heart of the Most humane and sensible. You would you would would think that you would think that it's
0: moment that we would you know have a big tent and it's not just the it's the dog people. So I mean Jim Swift, he's a dog guy, huge. Who else? He's always tweeting. He's he's trying to humanize himself. He's trying to humanize
2: himself with those tweets, those photos of his dog Gus. Right. Okay. So okay.
0: So Sarah's concerned that people try to humanize themselves with pictures of dogs. Okay. So can I just raise my hand here? Maybe people want to humanize themselves on social media because they're humans. I mean, of yeah. all of the terrible things that happen on social media, attempts to humanize oneself, this is this is not a cardinal sin. This is not the worst thing. This yeah, is not but, a bad thing that people humanize themselves, particularly when they are humans.
2: Yeah. It was like J.P.L. said, Twitter is very pro-dog. I think actually kind of the country in the world is are pretty pro-dog. So I, I don't think it's just a Twitter phenomenon. But look, I mean, so you know what? I'm going to just... Yeah. T- I'm going to be grown up here and just say we are going to continue to work with Sarah and JBL. Okay, but you've We're been gonna- the most aggressive.
0: Okay, Bill, I mean, I know you're trying to be Irenic
2: here, right? Yes.
0: Irenic, not ironic. Irenic, I-R-E-N-I-C. We actually had a discussion about that. You're trying to be, you know, the peacemaker. You're the one on Twitter basically saying, and these people hate dogs. They just, they're <laughs> hating, you know, come for the analysis of public policy. Stay for the hate Against dog people, Can I say that. Stuff. Yeah,
2: well, you have to brush them back a little bit, Charlie, before you uh, you know reestablish the big tent and let them know that you and I notice their uh, subtweeting or subpodcast attack on us or whatever you'd yeah. call it. And people who who are pro dog. I mean, I. But you know, it, it's uh, so the only. Response, we're, working, it might, we're working it out here. You know what? The country, the, comes, the country comes first. Country before party. Bulwark before individual dogs. But I guess dogs before cats,
0: but. So uh, the, my response has simply been, and I have not said anything about this on, on on Twitter, all we've dived on is to respond to Sarah with many, many, many dog tweets, <laughs> pictures of Augie and Eli and Pete in different, diff- different, different phases of their life, pictures of me with the dogs. Now, apparently this, you know, the, she might think that, oh, Charlie, you're trying to humanize yourself with with the dogs, to which my response would be, yes, and you have a problem with that. Really? Because I think humanization is not a terrible thing. I mean, yeah, we, Lord well, knows well, that Jim Swift ought to be able to humanize himself. You know, this is, I, I think. I'll lend many, you a dog, many, Bill, because y- you need a dog
2: to hide behind. Well, we have well, our dog, because they passed away. and we, we You need a new one. one. we we haven't gotten another one but because we actually were so fond of patches that's sort of hard to imagine replacing him but
0: um it's good thing though i mean it's hard see this is the thing about losing a dog it is like losing a member of the family and there are some people who won't understand that i mean it was when when our dog moses died it was like a death in the family we had a really hard time and you either get it or you don't get it um but i would suggest look um we had a cat
2: too, So I want to I want to make clear that I'm you know we're not like dogmatically so to speak uh, a pro dog and anti cat. And um, I am. We're I'm we're we're open minded. You know it's no. kind of it's the Bulwark spirit. A little bit of some cats, some dogs, some people who don't like either. <laughs> some people who don't like people like JVL. We have a broad a broad mix here at the Bulwark. Yeah. Tom Nichols is a cat guy,
0: and I'm I'm w- I'm willing to accept him. I Tom Nichols. I, I make an exception for him. But I mean, there are I, I don't know. I mean, it's like I I tweet out some dog pictures. I generally tweet, retweet my wife who has the dog pictures. I mean, I'm not in the Jonah Goldberg category of daily dog pictures, but I'm there for him. I mean, this is one of those issues where, you know, we've had a little, little, a few minor, just, you know, infinitesimal differences. But um, Jonah Goldberg and I stand shoulder to shoulder on dogs on Twitter and being dog people. So um, should we just leave it at that, Bill?
2: Yeah, I think we're going to just you know this is it's a big tent as you say the bulwark and we're reunited and saving the country from authoritarianism and we'll 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 live to debate the dog cat neither issue another day I suppose but of course I mean just I just want to stipulate you and I are right Charlie obviously
0: I, I, absolutely we are always yeah. right about this the dogs are always right and you should check my Twitter feed out because there's going to be a lot of dog Twitter coming Sarah um, in fact I ought to tag Sarah on all of this. At Sarah, um, here are some dogs. So happy happy Friday. Happy Friday, Bill. Bill, thanks for coming on again. I appreciate it very much.
2: Thanks, Charlie, and have a great weekend romping around with the dogs there in Wisconsin.
0: Well, I do. I spent a lot of actually time doing this, uh, you know, doing the, the, the dog walking and everything, um, listening to people and, uh, you know, trying to come up with the answers. So, you know, and, and during the pandemic, I have to say that I've spent more time with dogs than with people, which probably explains a lot. People going, well, oh, that explains you, Charlie. It's true. I literally have spent more time with with dogs than with people over the last year. So, drag me if you must. Drag, you know, you know, give it, give it your best. But that's that's just the reality. Hey, and thank you all for listening to uh, the Bulwark podcast. This weekend's Bulwark podcast. We will be back on Monday, and we will do this all over again.